1: Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. We are midweek in Biden's America, halfway there. This is your go to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers and happy warriors. Please check me out on social media on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore. You can find news about this show and links to the show and promos, etc. Plus some fantastic posts, photos. Did you guys see the one that I posted over the weekend of me and Mr. Affleck? If you haven't, you've got to follow me on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore and my Twitter account and true social at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show to Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. That's Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. I see them all. I read them all and your email could be next. All right, guys, today I want to talk about the way of the future for all of us in the new right. This is a really big point and a really important one. And we're sort of already there, but I want to be able to break it apart and let you guys know exactly what's going on on our side, because it is incredible. And I never thought I'd see the day that we actually got to the point of being the new right. So we are going to talk about that. And you know who's really leading the way? Of course, Donald Trump. And he did so much to to blaze the path, and he continues to. Governor Ron DeSantis, and I've said this on this show repeatedly, Ron DeSantis is one of the very few sitting office holders, not talking about candidates who won last night, we're going to deal with that too. But I'm talking about like sitting office holders right now. Ron DeSantis is pretty much the only one who has fully absorbed the Trump lesson on how to fight back, on how to deal with the press, on how to be an active member of the new right sitting in office. A fantastic thing just transpired from Governor DeSantis and his team. It is incredible. We're going to talk about that too, because it's the perfect symbol. It's the perfect encapsulation for the new right and what we're talking about here. Also today, we're going to talk to the great Kurt Schlichter about the new right. He's got a brand new book out about it and also how America will come back. It is a book of optimism. He is a happy warrior, just like all of us are. So today is a perfect day to talk to Kurt about the new right and bringing America back. All that, plus your emails straight ahead. I do want to mention, on Friday, we're going to deal with the Obscene Spending Taxes and Crazy Ass Inflation Act of 2022. We're going to talk about that. This is catastrophic. Also on Friday, we're going to take apart Mrs. Pelosi's trip to Asia, including Taiwan, and we're going to take on China Frank Gaffney is going to join us here, and there is no stronger hawk on the CCP than Frank. He has been at this for a very long time, and he is going to join us on Friday. So that is a not-to-be-missed episode of the Monica Crowley Podcast. First, though, the Monica memo. Um, I want to break down yesterday's primary results because we've got some extraordinary candidates moving on to the general election in November. And what all of this means for the America First movement, which is more alive than ever. And that's another big point that I want to deal with today. So on the results, you know, the results from last night, but throughout this entire primary process, shows the complete dominance of Donald J. Trump among Republican candidates who actually want to win, and Republican voters and independents who vote in Republican primaries. All of these results show that Donald Trump is it. And it's also a warning for any would-be Republican challengers out there. If he decides that he's running again for 2024, this is a shot across the bow. You better not cross him and you better get on board with the America First movement. Donald Trump has an iron grip on the party that's welcome. This is an iron grip that everybody with a brain wants. So let's go through some of this. Um, Arizona had a number of incredible races going on, and Trump got right in there because remember, Arizona really sticks in his craw. Arizona was the very first state to be called for Joe Biden. That was pretty much, we, we all figured, uh, a conservative state like Arizona would go for Trump. And I remember being in the White House on election night, and we had these huge screens set up in the East Wing, and everybody was eating and having a good time and watching the results come in, and we were all so optimistic. And then Bill Hemmer on Fox is at the map, and all of a sudden, Arizona is colored blue. And a hush fell over the entire east wing of the White House. Everybody just literally put down their forks and their glasses. And we all just stared in silence at the screen. And we were like, what? So they have done election audits. They've been investigating voter fraud and all kinds of uh, integrity issues in the state of Arizona. Very, very big deal there. And even yesterday, they still can't get their acts together. There were still big problems out of Maricopa County and the rest, all the crap that we saw in 2020. A lot of it is still out there. Some of it has not been resolved. But anyway, today we did get results. And I I have to tell you, I retweeted the the guy who is running for uh, attorney general in Arizona. His name is Abe Hamaday. He's great. He's America first. And he tweeted a picture of Carrie Lake running for governor, Blake Masters running for Senate, and himself waving last night, and he just wrote, clean sweep. So I retweeted the picture in that tweet, and I said, this is a thing of beauty. Congratulations, Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, and Abe Hamaday. You will all make Arizona and America great again. Ab. Absolutely. (laughs) Again, all Trump back candidates. And there were some uh, back and forth and things got a little tight there for a while. But uh, look, all three of these outstanding candidates are moving forward um, in November for the general. Carrie Lake has been on the show. She is extraordinary i just think the world of her i was born in arizona so this means a lot to me um, you know the idea that she would be governor and have blake masters representing that state and abe representing the state as ag it's just fantastic of beauty. Also in Arizona, uh, yesterday, State Representative Mark Fincham won the Republican nomination for Secretary of State. That is a critical position because if he wins, he's going to have tremendous sway over the conduct of elections in that state. So critical, critical. Moving on to Michigan, Tudor Dixon, she's dynamite. She also won the Republican nomination for governor. She's going to face the evil Gretchen Whitmer Uh, in the most, that's, that and Arizona are probably the most high profile, uh, governor's races. Pennsylvania as well, but Michigan, because of Whitmer, who's such a nightmare to have Tudor Dixon, who's fabulous, um, and can certainly go toe to toe with Whitmer and is more than willing to do that. That is going to be a dynamite race. Tudor Dixon got the endorsement of Donald Trump and she carried the day big time yesterday. Uh, In Kansas, the Attorney General Derek Schmidt, also endorsed by Trump, he got the Republican nod for governor. So he's going to be America First candidate running in the state of Kansas. And like I mentioned, Blake Masters in Arizona, he is going to be facing off against Democrat Senator Mark Kelly, who is probably the most vulnerable a Democrat in the U.S. Senate up for re-election this year. I have a feeling Mark Kelly is going down. I think Blake Masters is a fantastic candidate. We're going to try to get him on this podcast. I met him a couple of months ago in Florida, and he's just, he's so smart, and he's just terrific. Uh, Also, one of the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump after January 6th, this is uh, Congressman Peter Mehar of Michigan, He lost to the Trump-backed challenger, John Gibbs, who is a great, uh, great conservative there. So they're they're all going down. And just wait, in two weeks, you know who's up next? Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney up next. (laughs) I cannot wait for the podcast after that election day. Uh, In the state of Missouri, Trump-backed AG. Eric Schmidt won the Republican nomination for Senate. Uh, remember a couple of days ago, Trump made an endorsement in Missouri for that Senate race, but there were two Erics running, Eric Greitens and Eric Schmidt. And he said, so in this race, I'm I'm endorsing Eric. (laughs) I have to say, Trump is a friggin' genius. He just is. He just, nobody trolls better than Trump. No one. Although Ron DeSantis is a close second here. and We're going to deal with something he did this week that is just phenomenal. Uh, but Trump, I endorse Eric. <laughs> I thought it was a typo. When I saw the statement, I was like, oh man, Trump forgot the last name. And duh, of course Trump would just play both sides like that in such a clever way. I got to tell you, there's Trump and then there's everybody else. Nobody is even in his league in playing this game. So, we have all of these uh, Trump endorsed candidates who have won. So that just proves that Donald Trump is the powerhouse endorser. Uh it, you know, they, there's nobody even close to this. So this is the power of Trump. He remains the 800-pound gorilla in the Republican Party. He sits astride the party like a colossus. And even more so, you know, it's it's the Republican Party, of course. But moreover, it is a populist party now because Trump made it so. It's no longer an establishment party. It's, it's all of these candidates are moving the GOP away from being part of the uni party in Washington and toward a genuine populist party that represents the American people. How refreshing. America first. That's it. You've got to be America first now to run in this party and win. America first on the economy the border, immigration, trade, crime, education, the military, foreign policy, it's all America first now. And it will survive once Trump passes from the scene. But for now, he is very present and in total control of the party and the message. Here is the critical point. Trump's enemies, and they are legion, did not fear his failure They feared his success. They know that if he succeeded, he and the America First movement would give rise to hundreds, thousands of mini-Trumps, America First candidates and leaders who would begin to populate elected office at all levels and start to push back on the Democrat communists and their neo-communist Great Reset Agenda. Remember, they have been working at this fundamental transformation of the nation for decades now. This did not originate under Biden or, or Obama. This goes way back. So they are deeply entrenched, deeply in all crannies of American society and life, not just politics, but everywhere. So dislodging them and neutralizing their influence is going to be a very difficult and long-term process. But we have to start somewhere. Trump began this revolt. And as powerful as he was and as powerful as he is, he's just one man. So he could only do so much. And he was constantly being undermined and attacked and and marginalized to the extent that the left and, and his other enemies could do that. But now... All of these America First candidates who are not Trump, okay? Trump is one of a kind. They're not Trump, but they are in his image of America First. They are winning. And that poses a hydra-headed existential threat to the Democrat communists. With Trump, who basically came out of nowhere... They only had to turn back one guy. Yeah, there were all of us who supported him. But really, they only had to train their ire and their fire on one guy. He was the existential threat. But now, now they have hundreds of existential threats pushing back. Meyer Flores in in Texas comes to mind. But there are so many who are now running for office at all levels, from school board all the way up to governors, senators, you name it. We have now hundreds, if not thousands, of existential threats against them, pushing back. Plus, all of us. And remember, there are far more of us than there are of them. We have the ultimate power over them, and they know it. They have a ton of power. They control all the levers here in America, but they are afraid. Trust me, they are afraid of us, of the moment we all come together and move against them. And on Friday, I want to pick this up uh, a little bit more because it is a huge point about why they continue to mobilize against us. There's something bigger going on here, and I'm going to bring that to you on Friday. Okay, so let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about this new right, because everything we're describing here is the new right. It's the, the America First candidates. It's the America First movement. It's the energy. It's the populism. It's taking our country back. We are now part of the new right. We are fearless. We fight back. We stand up to the left. We push back. And you know what is underneath all of it? We don't care what they say or what they do. Sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of them coming at us, but we no longer care. And that is a thing of beauty. When we come back, I want to talk about Governor DeSantis and the one thing he did this week that is the perfect symbol of exactly what I'm talking about. I'm Monica Crowley, sit tight. All right, guys, welcome back. So when we started this show, I I began by talking about all of the America First candidates who have won across the board yesterday in really big primaries in big states that are going to be critical for November, but also critical for 24. And I was talking about the new right, which is now completely fearless. It is not concerned at all, and we're, we're all part of this now. It's not concerned at all about what the the left says or does. We no longer play on their turf. We no longer play according to their rules. No, no, it's our rules. So we will ignore you. We will dismiss you. We will counterattack if you come at us. Donald Trump really led the way on this. He, he really paved the path for other Republicans to stand up and fight back and be unafraid to do that. Right now, there are deep consequences for Trump. They're still trying to put him in prison, okay? But there are so many who saw what he did and say, you know what? Why are we sitting in the corner afraid? We need to be fighting back. If we really love our country that much, as we say we do, we need to be fighting back. And you know what? The left be damned. And so that's exactly what's happening, which was the left's biggest nightmare, Their biggest nightmare was Trump was going to succeed, and through his success, he was going to give birth to all of these little Trumps around the country, right? All of these candidates who believe in America first. And that's exactly what has happened, and it's only growing with every election cycle. It's really something to behold. All of these candidates that we're towning who won last night and and are going to win in November, these are America first candidates. Of course, it's making the left completely insane that they can no longer control us or the narrative. They are really going crazy about this. So expect lashing out in a million different directions. Okay, Trump runs again. They're going to burn the, down the country uh, just as they did in 2020, but it's actually not going to matter who the Republicans nominate because they will still burn down the country. Now, Let's move on to Governor DeSantis because he is the perfect guy. First of all, he's the best governor in the country. Secondly, he is the perfect symbol of the new right. Governor DeSantis has absorbed the lessons of Donald Trump and the creation of the new right. Fearless, unafraid, pushback, don't care. DeSantis is the perfect symbol of this. So he did something this week that It it, ideally, like, encapsulates this whole thing. So the hens of the view uh, decided that they wanted Governor DeSantis to come on set and do an interview with them. They invited the governor and they sent in the request Uh, to, I guess, his press secretary, Christina Paschal, who is phenomenal. She is like the best press secretary out there. She's amazing. And the deputy press secretary, Brian Griffin, for Governor DeSantis. So uh, here's what the producer, Todd Polkis, the producer at The View, here's what he wrote uh, to the DeSantis team. I hope you're having a good summer. They all, they're such phonies. And they all start that way. Oh, look at me. I'm being polite, even though I hate your guts. I hope you're having a great summer. I'm reaching out to invite Governor Ron DeSantis to be our special guest. Oh, not just a guest, but a special guest on The View next season, which starts September 6. We would be honored, oh, so honored, (laughs) to have him join us in studio sometime in the fall. It will only be a few weeks before the midterm elections, and The View is the, an ideal place to remind millions of people what's at stake in the election. As the most important and influential TV show for women, our show would be able to reach millions of female voters across the country on television and social media. We will likely have a new conservative host joining us at that time, in addition to Whoopi Goldberg, Joy Behar, Sonny Hostin and Sarah Haynes, which will bring even more attention to the view. They are very concerned about such issues as the economy, environment, abortion, and voting rights. Please let me know if we can discuss. Happy to talk over the phone as well. (laughs) Okay, this is how they all operate. I've had to deal with the press and the Trump administration and and for a long time outside of that. So this is such a typical note. This is exactly how they, they operate, trying to schmooze you in and, and reel you in. And for a long time, so many on our side just fell for it and said, oh, you know, they're right, I could reach women on The View, I should go. Even if they're going to get absolutely beaten to a pulp, even the strongest Republican going into that den of, uh, of hens is just going to get ripped apart. So there is no point to it. Okay, there's no point. So here is Governor DeSantis's Deputy Press Secretary, Brian Griffin. Here's how he responded, and I quote, Thanks for the invite. I understand that you are sending this request on behalf of your team, but are the hosts of The View really interested in hearing from Governor DeSantis about all of the important work he is doing on behalf of Floridians to protect their health and livelihoods, to stand up for parents and children, and to defend freedom? Which of the below statements from the hosts of The View do you recommend to our team consider when deciding if the interview will be a genuine pursuit of truth or worth the time? Joy Behar, August 2021, quote, You're just short of calling Governor DeSantis a negligent, homicidal sociopath because that's what he is. She added, what is he doing? He's risking the lives of children, children's parents, their grandparents, anyone that may come into contact with so he can appeal to his white supremacist base so he can continue in his career and get reelected. Sonny Hostin, June 2022, death Santis. I think he's a fascist and a bigot. Anna Navarro, April 2022, on Governor DeSantis's policies. It's anti-black, anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ plus community. And for some reason, the Republican base responds to it. It's anti-American. It's what happens in Venezuela. It's what happens in Nicaragua. Sunny Austin, February 2022, on DeSantis' policies. It started with CRT. Let's remember that. And those are anti-history laws, anti-black history laws, really. If you start coming after black people, what comes next, right? Of course, the LGBTQ plus community and then women and then other marginalized groups. Brian Griffin ended it this way. We will pass on this offer. Epic. Just epic. Epic. DeSantis is telling the propaganda press to shove it is absolute perfection. While they obsess over him, he doesn't think of them at all. While they try to attack him, he doesn't think of them at all. When they are craving an interview and pleading with him for an interview, he doesn't think of them at all. Which drives them even crazier because I'm telling you guys, it's all that they, they are so egomaniacal in the press, especially you know, if you're covering a governor or a president, these people are, are just the they're, they're so incredibly full of themselves. They think the world revolves around them. They're oh, so important. So they want these Republicans obsessing about them. Oh my God, what are they going to write about me? Is it going to be negative? Is it going to be a bad story? Should I talk to them? Should we try to get our side into the story? Our side has thought that way for a really long time and many of them still do. But DeSantis doing this, this is how it's done. This is absolutely masterful Christina Pucha his uh, press secretary she if you don't follow her on Twitter, you should because she's uh, amazing. They put up texts from these propaganda press reporters that are all like, oh please uh, can I get an interview with DeSantis please please begging and pleading and they're so dishonest and they're so full of themselves they want to be the center of attention they want to put up articles with DeSantis's name in the Uh, title in the headline so that they can get clicks and make more money for themselves and their news organizations. Why? Why empower them? They hate you. Why enrich them? They hate you. They hate all of our guts. So what DeSantis is doing here is brilliant. And oh, you know, they're like, well, what is he going to do? Only talk to conservative media? As Christina points out, Governor DeSantis does like two sometimes three press conferences a week, where he stands in front of his Florida Press Corps, and there might be some national reporters there as well, and he answers questions. He takes all comers. He doesn't care. You're sitting there, and you're from the New York Times. Ask him a question. He's fully available. But to give them special interviews, to give them special access, oh, hell no. Hell no. Those days are done. DeSantis is part of the new right. DeSantis leading the charge. DeSantis learning from Donald Trump. This is masterful. This is the way of the future, guys, right here. So good for Governor DeSantis, and hopefully we're going to see more of this. And if you see Republican candidates bending over backwards at this point in time to give special interviews to the New York Times or the Washington Post or Politico or whomever, you know, look them square in the eye. And say, no, no. Why are you empowering the people who hate you? All right. We're going to talk to Kurt Schlichter about the new right. He's got a brand new book out called We'll Be Back about how America will come back. It's a very optimistic book. And Kurt served in the U.S. Army. He is fierce. He's fantastic. He's going to join us. But first, guys, listen up because I want all of you to be healthy. We need everybody at full fighting strength going into November and beyond. So to get myself healthier, I'm taking Field of Greens every day, and you should too. Field of Greens is packed with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, all the things you need, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. It's what I need to stay healthy, and you need it too. Field of Greens works fast and tastes delicious. I look forward to my glass of Field of Greens every morning, and you will too. You'll have more energy You'll look and feel healthier, and it can even help you lose weight. So join me and take Field of Greens too. To help you get started, I got you 15% off your very first order and another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA, fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. We'll be right back. Well, I am so psyched to have my friend, Kurt Schlichter, with me today. Kurt is a U.S. Army veteran. He is a trial lawyer, but don't hold that against him. He's also a senior columnist at townhall.com, and he is a prolific author. His brand new book, Hot Off the Presses, is called We'll Be Back. The Fall and Rise of America. It's now available everywhere. Follow him on social media at Kurt Schlichter. His Twitter feed is a hell of a good time. It's pure fire. So if you're not following him, you should be. Kurt, welcome.
0: Thanks, Monica. Glad to be here.
1: Well, it's great to have you with me, and congratulations on the new book. It is fantastic. But before we get into it, tell us a little bit about your background, both as a colonel in the U.S. Army and as a trial attorney.
0: Oh, geez, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a normal suburban guy. I was uh, I was born in Cincinnati when my dad worked for Procter and Gamble. He came from he and my mom both came from a uh, uh, middle Pennsylvania. So I kind of have that background and uh, everybody in in, in Ohio was so decent and genuine and everything. I couldn't stay there. So I was thrown out at about age six (laughs) and off to California. And I I grew up in the California suburbs. I mean, everybody had, you know, a station wagon. uh, And I was, uh, you know, I was very much uh, uh, leave it to beaver-esque in that sense, and uh, I think that sensibility stayed with me, that I have an understanding of what America should be, stable, prosperous, where you can do what you want, where you can become who you want. We didn't have any weird limitations. I mean, we didn't really you know, talk about stuff. We just kind of assumed we could do whatever we wanted to do. There were no arbitrary guidelines. And I think young people today have so many. Uh, and then, you know, uh, utterly betrayed by a society uh, designed to uh, cater to boomers uh, that that wraps this millstone of uh, student debt around their necks, that lies to them and tells them if you get a gender studies degree and spend four years of your life doing that, you're going to have a better world. It, it's just, it, 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 I didn't come up through that. I. You know, I figured out how to get myself into UC San Diego in my first legal scam. There was a way you could do it with SATs only. So my terrible grades didn't stop me. I went to school. I started writing on the papers. I worked for Congress. uh, Left to go into the military after uh, I graduated because I wanted to do something besides go off to law school or be the second assistant running the Xerox machine at some corporation. Uh, Went to the Gulf War where I was uh, privileged to see America at the time and place that it was at its total pinnacle in the uh, aftermath of the victory over the Iraqi army in an unbelievable hundred hours. And then I came back, I went to law school in Los Angeles. And I, I, it never occurred to me not to do what I wanted, Monica. I, I wanted to write, so I started out writing jokes. Uh, I wanted to be a stand-up comic for a while. I was. Uh, I got brought in by Andrew Breitbart to write more, and uh, I've gotten this whole conservative world all the same time, uh, continuing as a reserve army officer. I, I served in uh, uh, the L.A. riots where I saw civilization collapse. I served in Kosovo after 9-11 where I saw the aftermath of civil conflict and uh, you know, built a law firm, uh, did pretty well there. And now I, you know, I've written my, this is my 10th book. And it's incredible.
1: It's it's incredible. I, you write a lot of fiction, which are, those yep. novels are dynamite. And then, of course, this is a nonfiction book. Again, it's called We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. What's interesting, Kurt, and, and you and I first met in person uh, over the last couple of months, we've been following each other on social media and retweeting each other and just, you know, supporting each other in all kinds of ways. It was really fun to meet you in person. Um, but, y- you know, it's interesting how you say you came out of Pennsylvania, your family moved to California, and you grew up in this idyllic childhood back when California was normal or relatively yeah. normal, and you are still there. I mean, assess for us the wreckage that you see around us in see around yourself in California, and how we got here, because California is kind of a microcosm of what Biden and the Democrats are doing to the country and what they have done for quite a while.
0: Well, look, Monica. When I got to California, Ronald Reagan was president. Uh, Richard Nixon—I Nick- mean, excuse me—Ronald Reagan was governor. Richard Nixon was president, and I—I I, I mean, there was just such opportunity. It—it it never occurred to any of us we couldn't do what we wanted to do. And I see young kid up. Oh, there goes the dog that's okay.
1: this That's okay. This is a podcast we We welcome all dogs. You know, it's very interesting, Kurt, that you're saying you mentioned both Presidents Nixon and Reagan. They were both from yes. California,
0: of course. It, yes, and that is not that, I mean that's that is that is key because California. Was such an incubator of dreams. It still is to me, but to young people I see it isn't. They're depressed. How can you be depressed in California? Only socialism can turn a place as vibrant and beautiful and rich as California into a you know a sea of hobos uh, defiling the sidewalk and criminals running amok and people not being able to do what they dream of doing. Uh, I'm very much a you know the 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 whole california dream is very much present in me i, I and i, I it, it kills me that these people are destroying and they want to they want to bring this misery to the rest of the country now keep in mind i'm not miserable people are like why do you stay in california because it's made for guys like me monica it's made for trial lawyers they back <laughs> up a dump truck full of money all the time because that's in my driveway because I'm, I'm, I, I, though I don't believe there's stuff, I'm in the in crowd. I live in a nice area. Crooks don't come through here. Our cops wouldn't stop it. We don't defund the police. Our public schools are fine. It, 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 it's a feudal system. And, uh, you know, lucky for me, I'm one of the nobility. Um, but that isn't how it should be. Right. That's not how it was meant to be. That's wrong. And I, I don't intend to abandon California because it's my state and at Fort Benning, they didn't teach me much about retreating, but I'm not going to let this misery spread to the rest of the United States. And I don't think the American people are. I see a lot of reason to hope, a huge amount of reason for hope.
1: Well, let's on that subject, Kurt, and and that optimism is built into your title, We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. You know, a lot of people are very dispirited right now. They cannot believe what's happening to the country they love. We saw that recent video of the 100-year-old World War II veteran breaking down in tears, which is incredibly heartbreaking. So a lot of Americans are just demoralized. But you say in this book, we'll be back. Why? Why are you so confident?
0: Well, first of all, uh, you know, you look at those home improvement shows, they always talk about houses having good bones. I think America has good bones. I mean, the Constitution is a miraculous document. Uh, The American people themselves are incredible. I've seen them in war and peace. Uh, And and the stuff I saw is, uh, you know, it, it, especially you know in my, my experience is with young military folks and it's you know it's it, it actually renews your faith with these uh, uh, great young people even though they're being treated like trash by the present military which needs to be completely reformed by uh the next republican president uh other things to give me hope uh i you, you met my uh, wife who came from cuba she escaped uh latinx and that is now our word, and I'm going to beat the hell out of them with it. Latinx Americans uh, were supposed to be the Democrat constituency forever. They were supposed to stay poor. They were supposed to uh, 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 rely on scraps and handouts from the Democrat elite table. And now they are 50 percent Republican and growing because they have absolutely no interest in working for anyone else. These are uh, Hardworking people, faith-based people—they are patriotic. They love their families, and they have nothing in common with the Democrats. And they're coming to us, and that was, you know, that was the key component of the Democrat constituency. Without that piece of the puzzle, uh, the Democrat constituency of uh, uh, criminals, uh, faculty lounge uh, hacks, uh, weird mutants with bizarre piercings who shout their abortions. Uh, and, and, of course, government employees, uh, there just aren't enough of them to run things. We, we've already seen the pushback. Glenn Youngkin is a huge, huge deal because Virginia is really a blue state. You got Ron DeSantis, who is showing a perfect comparison to the fail policies of uh, Governor Hochul in uh, New York and Governor Hairstyle out here in California. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think we're going to see. Uh, I, look, I think I think it's going to be a uh, electoral bloodbath in 2022, and I think a Republican uh, is likely to win in 2024, especially against the senile, old, you know, father of the year. Uh, Joe Biden.
1: Yeah, he's not going to be the nominee, but that's a subject for no, a different no. time. And oh. <laughs> I've been covering that whole drama on this oh, podcast. Yeah. So, you, you know, Kurt, so let's break a little bit apart of what you just laid out here. I think, well, g- given your military background and how you look at the country um, and and what a crisis we're in right now, what is the thing that keeps you up at night the most? What When you, you look at the landscape, what's the biggest
0: threat you see. I'm very concerned about uh, violent political conflict. And right. there, there are, and I write a couple chapters about the potential for civil war in the book. I'm not for it. I'm against it. I, you know, my family comes from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, which is burned down by the Confederates. One of my earliest memories is of being at Gettysburg at the battlefield uh, when I was a little kid. I mean, I mean, I, there was a, literally a picture of Lincoln in my grandmother's house, uh, she grew up knowing people who fought the Civil War. So that uh, and, and you know, Schlichter's served in the Civil War um, there uh, on the Union side. There were so that it's very important on the family side, but it, it also uh, on the personal side. Like I said, I was in Los Angeles when civilization collapsed for three weeks. I was there, you know, nice suburban guy. And I'm with an infantry unit in South Central watching all hell break loose. And I saw how. You know, uh, perilous we are. We are perched on the precipice of chaos, and we really are. And then, of course, I served in Kosovo, where there was in the ruins of the civil war, and I would see villages that were literally torn apart by their neighbors, and these are people they'd lived next to, but because they had some weird ethnic label, and somebody else had another weird ethnic label, all of which was absolutely opaque to us. You know, I couldn't tell you a Serb from a Bosniak, from a Turk, from a Roma, from an Albanian uh, to save my life before I went there and barely can now. But to them, it's so important that they will murder other people for it. And I I see I, I I am very worried that the balkanization of the United States will lead to political violence. The toleration by the Democrats right now of assassination threats against Kavanaugh, of organized terrorism against pregnancy crisis centers Mm -hmm. uh guys you can have one set of rules you need to think very very carefully about what rules you have because these people have you know Maka. i think we've raised a generation that's never got butt kicked in a fist fight and they don't understand that the other guy is going to react the way you are there's no status quo where you get to do what you want and they are locked into their position Yes. Things can degenerate very quickly and get very ugly, very fast. I know. I watched it happen up close in the riots. They're playing with fire. Uh, They are unaccomplished people. They are stupid people. They are greedy people. This is a recipe for disaster. And we have to look the monster in the eye and make sure that we solve our problems the way we should through the processes in our constitution.
1: Yes, amen to everything you just said. And I think w- the the threat that keeps me up at night is related to what you just laid out, which is the, the balkanization, the fracturing of, of the American people into these tribes and the escalation of the threat. The thing that worries me the most is the weaponization of our own government against us. Yes. So when you pair yes. that with what you just laid out, I mean, we're in a tinderbox, right? Oh, we
0: we absolutely are and I talk about look I, I I talk about the importance of an armed citizenry I talk about what a civil war might look like but I also talk about the important fact uh, what in, at what time does a revolution become justified we know seventeen seventy six obviously it was one of the one of the factors is the inability to have access to processes that allow you to function as a citizen that is if you don't have if if, if the government denies you any justice if there is no way you can change things at the ballot box if there's no way you can change things through the courts uh the the, if you decide that the only currency is power everybody's going to use power that's going to be the currency i keep saying there are three ways America can go. Number one, we can have a civil society where uh, citizens have input in the direction of the country and their rights are protected. That's option one. Option two, we can have a dictatorship of people like me. Or option three, we can have a dictatorship of leftists. Now, I, 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 I want option one. I could live with option two. Option three, uh uh-uh. let's go with option one. We've got I mean, my gosh, we have the greatest constitution in human history. We had the greatest nation in human history. Just 30 years ago, we were on top of the world in power, in, in, in everything. And, and, and the answers aren't hard. You know, we know how to fix crime. Rudy Giuliani showed us how to do that. We know how to fix the economy, both Reagan and. And uh, uh, Trump showed us how to do that. In two and a half, three years, Trump had the economy rolling. It can all be done. All this decline, Monica, is a choice. Yes. It's a choice by a garbage ruling class that puts its own priorities and its own interests ahead of that of the people. Yes. And that is unsustainable. And it's going to change. And I hope it changes at the ballot box. But if it doesn't change at the ballot box, it's going to change it another way. And that's scary as hell.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're talking to Kurt Schlichter. His new book is called We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. And exactly what you laid out, Kurt, this is so on point. And it's better. Look, I think it, it's very tough for many Americans to believe that one of the two major political parties is actively bent on the nation's destruction. But that is objectively true. And. Oh, yeah. And then it's even harder oh, for them yeah. to understand that this is a neo-Marxist revolution. That's also really hard to process. So n- now we've got a. We're at a point in America, Kurt, where everything is so politicized. Everything is political, from movies to TV to sports, just everything. It's exhausting, and it seems to me like we need a thorough process of. Depoliticizing American life. Remember how they used to call after the Iraq War, which you served in, they called for the debathification <laughs> of Iraq. Yes. Um, it, it's sort of the same principle where we need a giant purge of politics out of where it doesn't belong. But that seems like a really tall order.
0: It, it is, but it can be done. And the last couple chapters of uh, We'll Be Back, Fall and Rise of America talk about that. The final chapter, in fact, is. Because I weave fiction in there because I think with fiction, you know, I can tell the story of what it's like for a, you know, a civilian in the middle of a civil conflict Uh, much better by telling the story of a a suburban mom trying to find food for her family when, you know, red forces have cut off the freeways into the blue city she lives in. And, you know, know, what am I going to do? Eat my NPR tote bag? Uh, (laughs) It's, I, I mean... I, 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 the last chapter talks about a president looking back on what he did, and the first thing he needs to do, the next president he or she uh, is uh, needs to know what time it is, needs to understand the nature of the struggle which you have just set out. You're absolutely correct as the nature of the struggle; it is a struggle. A lot of conservative or a lot of Republicans want to go back to the kind of clinky, clinky you know, let's all uh, be collegial, uh, kind of like, you know. Oh, hell no. Hell no. That's when they they hate you and want to turn you into a serf, okay, they're not your friends. And you need to understand that you need to go in with the idea, not that you're going to build bridges, but that you're going to blow them up if necessary. And uh, this uh, chapter, looking back, talks about, how the you know how the president goes about, including uh, understanding that big corporations, uh, which uh, now mostly have uh, the politics of the CEO's younger second wife, um, are, are are not our friends anymore. You know this idea twenty years ago. you know, Republicans were all about we need to cut corporate tax rates and uh, cut regulations. Okay, that's all fine, but I got three million people crossing the border down there. And, you know, some illegal alien just ran into my Chevy and he's got no insurance. You need to deal with all the problems. And that's what's going to have to happen. You have to have a, 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 a strong president uh, who aggressively uh, makes it clear to, uh, again, like corporations and our institutions that you can't be politicized or you'll be our enemy. Russ, uh, Ron DeSantis did that with Disney. Yep. He made it very clear. If you are going to pick a side, you've got to understand that some arbitrary, quote unquote, conservative uh, value of, uh, uh, of, of respecting private property and uh, you know, free speech is not going to protect you from the political reality that you've chosen to be our enemy and you're going to pay.
1: Yes. And it's going to require a huge effort because the other side is literally at war with the constitution, yes. with free market capitalism, yes. with all of us. So it's going to be a really heavy lift, but I do love how you lay it out in the book. And I love that the book is so optimistic, Kurt, because that's exactly the tone we need to set the table for what needs to be done. So again, everybody, the book is called, We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. It's a great and important book. So, please go get it. Kurt Lichter, thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Monica. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Okay. How are you guys enjoying the new right? Pretty good, right? All right. As we wrap up today's show, uh, let's dip into the Wednesday email bag, shall we? Nick writes about the creation of new woke government agencies. Classic government. He says, they create a department that has no authority, that we don't want and don't need, but can never get rid of. Only government can use this kind of logic. Thanks. Well, uh, I appreciate the the email, Nick, and it gives me an opportunity to make a really important point about government. Government operates in a different way, with a different set of incentives and motivations than business. Business is driven primarily by the profit motive. So the incentive is to run it lean and mean and to maximize profit for your shareholders and or value for your customers and hopefully profit for yourself and your business to keep it going. Government, on the other hand, is motivated by power and access. There's no incentive to run it lean and mean. The exact opposite, in fact. The incentive is to grow government endlessly to gather ever more power and control, to grab money, which is either tax dollars or printed. And there's zero accountability. There's no bankruptcy. There's no going out of business with government. There's firing people on election day, that's for sure. But even that's a little dicey, given the fact that we've got so much fraud out there. So government just expands and expands which breeds corruption and failure and a lack of responsiveness to the American people. This is, this is all about this lack of caring because they're only delivering for themselves and not for us. End of story. Term limits, it's always sort of talked about. Nobody really moves on it. Term limits are a good solution, but I don't know if we're ever going to see them. And then there's word that if he is reelected, Donald Trump wants to smash the entire administrative state. We can only hope and pray that that is going to be true and that if in fact he is reelected, he will do that. If it's not Donald Trump and it's Governor DeSantis, my sense is that he will go down that road as well because this government now is not salvageable. It's not redeemable. There are some decent people in there, but the entire institution of the federal government across the board is so deeply corrupted that I don't think you can save it. So that project that Trump is beginning now um, is going to be critical, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or someone else. So we can only hope and pray and get the right people into place to make sure that that goes forward. Okay. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate that. It gave me an opportunity to make that point about the difference in motivation between government and business. Not a lot of people see that point, but it's the critical point. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening and writing in and for supporting our great, great sponsors. That is much appreciated. Send me more emails, monica crowley podcast at gmail.com. That's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail dot com. Your email might be next. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Have a great rest of your week. I will see you right back here on Friday when we are going to deal with Mrs. Pelosi and China. And we'll talk about some other big points here as well. All right, so have a great rest of your week. Catch you in about 48 hours. Ciao.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.